0: Who knows what Jay-Z, J.K. Rowling, Bill Gates and Oprah Winfrey all have in common. Okay, I will tell you then. They have all overcome failure in one shape or form to go on to gain success in their respective careers. Welcome to My Perfect Failure. Join us as we delve into the world of our perfect failures. We will interview, explore and discuss how our perfect failures can lead us to success. Join us and tune in.
1: Welcome to another edition of My Perfect Failure. Today, I have another amazing guest. My guest today is a relator, he's an investor, he's a podcaster, he's even an an Olympian. He competed in the 2016 Olympic Games for the USA's Men's Eights, hopefully I've got that correct, rowing team. After figuring life out after rowing, he's now excelling in residential real estate, in the East Bay area which I believe is San Francisco. In 2019 he sold a whopping 19.2 million of real estate which puts him in the top 2% in his area. Today he's also a coach as well as having his own fantastic podcast Another Way which you should definitely check out. I've had the pleasure of listening to a few episodes. So today I'm delighted to welcome Hans Struz, Struzina. I don't think I pronounced that correctly, but you hopefully it, I am not too far you nailed away. Nailed it! <laughs>
0: did yeah, I, like, did I? Like, <laughs> like we were talking about in the beginning before we hit record, most people mess that up. So you got it.
1: <laughs> Fantastic! I, as I, as I, you kind of gave me some prompters. So as I was about to say, I got a little, bit, a little bit nervous. I was thinking just because I wanted to get it right. So I'm pleased that I, I nailed it. So how are you anyway? Welcome to my perfect failure.
0: Paul, appreciate you having me on, man. It's it's a pleasure to be here. Really excited um, about the opportunity, and um, you know, definitely looking forward to to getting into this with you.
1: Well, I'm. I've had the pleasure of speaking to you previously, and you know, I've got an Olympian on my perfect failure. That's that's amazing.
0: Which is funny yeah, because most people think Olympians are the ones who are always succeeding. But we, but as you and I have talked about, that's not nearly pretty much ever the case.
1: Yeah, that, that's interesting because it's funny because your expectations were, you know, we're going to get into this, but obviously meddling and whatnot. But to me, to be an Olympian, that is succeeding. That is, that's to have that after my name. I'd be using that quite a lot. So so I guess maybe you can tell the listeners a little bit about hands.
0: Yeah, well, like you said, I'm a, I'm a real estate agent. I'm a investor of real estate. I'm also a podcaster, um, and and an Olympian certainly. And to your point, I do use the Olympian title an awful lot. It's, it's <laughs> on my website. If you go check it out, you'll see it prominently displayed. Um, but before that, I was uh, you know just a, a normal kid growing up in the Northwest, so up in the Seattle, Washington region, and I was I was generally an athlete uh, through and through through pretty much elementary all the way until after college. I wasn't much into drama or music or any of that sort of stuff that my sister was really, really good at that stuff. But I, I got the sports gene. And we, you know, we grow up in kind of upper middle class lifestyle. I went to a, a private religious high school um, with my graduating class being 82 people. I think the entire high school, ninth through 12th grade was 360 or 350 so it was the entire school was smaller than most people's graduating classes so it was a yeah. very intimate uh, education experience relative to your peers then i went to university of washington where i continued to row and and found my kind of found my stride uh, athletically as well as you know academically and socially and such um and then, so I, I pursued a degree in business. Always had a, an, an idea for real estate, but first I knew I wanted to go try and hit the Olympics and, and try and, for the national team and all of that, um, which I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to try because not everyone does. And then uh, ultimately made the team. Uh, and then from there, found real est- took some time off, found real estate, and,
1: and haven't looked back since. Wow. So are you quite competitive? guy are you someone that wants to compete
0: yeah no i i'm i'm pretty lackadaisical when it comes to results okay. <laughs> no i'm just joking <laughs> i'm i'm quite competitive um yeah. with myself first and foremost but certainly with other people as well um you know i i i have toned down some of the things like trying to jockey mm. in line you know at the at the grocery store or um you know trying to to do little things competitively, but I still want to, uh, you know, have stats and figures and downloads and all of that stuff in excess of whatever the next person is. Cause I, I do see myself as competitive. Absolutely. I,
1: so I guess what, what I want to get into a little bit, actually, I've got loads of questions, but I guess the first one, what age did you start rowing? So I found the sport, I believe when I was 14,
0: it was brought to my parents as an idea of something we could do together in the summer. So all four of us, um, my parents, my sister and myself, went down and took lessons at Lake Sammamish, which any of you who know my, the company Microsoft, that's about two miles from Microsoft's headquarters, just for context. And uh, we we tried it. We kind of liked it. And then I got in engaged in the more competitive teams. Um, and then just stuck with it for sophomore junior and senior year of high school.
1: And okay, so you so it was something that you found a passion for and you liked and you sort of progressed from there. As as many young people can probably
0: remember, you know, you're you're hitting your puberty years, you're going mm. into junior high or high school, you're trying to find your way in the world and we all sort of grab at different things and we try things and I tried football and, and American football, not, not European football, um, you know, basketball, uh, track and field, all of that stuff. And it, it was good at it to a degree cause I was athletic, but then I grew late. So I, I was by my, by the time I was a, a freshman in high school, I was often the oldest uh, kid on the team and the smallest. Yeah. And, So that just, obviously, when you're trying to tackle someone or out jump them for a ball, that you just have a pretty distinct disadvantage at that. Um, When I found rowing, I recognized an opportunity to, to succeed there because it wasn't necessarily how big you were. Like it had more to do with what you could produce as a person rel- not in not in a contact sort of way but in a in a wattage or a or a, a seconds in a race and so i recognized that i had an ability for that and had some success early on, and then just got bit by the bug, as they say.
1: So I'm interested in rowing because I've seen it in the Olympics, Because I guess people like me, when we see the Olympics, we see, it seems just amazing. But obviously, there's a huge backdrop to that, which is the work that you have to put in to mm-hmm. actually get to the point where, A, you get selected for the team, and then mm-hmm. B, you get to go to Olympics to actually compete. Mm-hmm. And I know from speaking to you previously that there was huge sacrifice and challenges you had to navigate in order to get to the point of going to the Olympics. Can you talk a little bit about around that?
0: Absolutely. Well, um, as you can imagine, a sport like rowing is, is truly an amateur endeavor. So you are not... You're not paid, like there's no, well, there's not, no, there's very few sponsorships. There's very little money. The UK actually funds their rowing team quite well because it's a big sport for you guys yeah. Um, on a national level. um, But even those guys are only making, you know, 40, 50,000 pounds a year um, from what I understand. And then there's bonuses if they medal mm. and perform well and such. But, you know, we're not talking like you're not going to make a million dollars rowing either way. Mm. So um so it's certainly a, an an endeavor that is you know you have to love it and you have to want to be good at it for the sake of being good at it you know pursuit of excellence for the sake of excellence is what i would always say
1: yeah and so I'm, go ahead no 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 you go ahead
0: well that that in and of itself like breeds a culture of either you have to rely on you know the generosity of strangers to let you sleep on their couch or you know give you some meals or whatever, or your parents, or you have to go get a job on the side and that's what i I did a combination of all of that so um, I was working not full time but I was working on the side while I was training, had to pay rent, you know, pay for groceries and all that, and travel to races and such um, and then you know compete and train multiple times a day and and deal with the recovery of it all it was it was quite a lot for for quite a number of years
1: yeah and it's quite a lot to to absorb and to to actually embrace and take on because of the, the numerous challenges that you're facing so clearly it was something that you were passionate about
0: yeah absolutely i mean it comes down to your devotion to the craft and mm. you know at least in this country and i think in many others there's there's a Uh, a romance around amateur athletics. And, you know, I think the, the pinnacle of that story is the 1980, uh, you know, miracle on ice team that beat the Soviets um, in hockey. It's like all these amateur college kids beat this professional Soviet team, right? Like we love that story here, but this, but it's so true in pretty much every other sport that's an true amateur sport. Um, And, you know, it's, it, it comes with its unique set of challenges and and the least of which is just surviving on a day to day
1: basis yeah, because I can imagine that there are lots of people out there, hopefully lots of those people who will be listening to this episode. but I can imagine there's lots of people, whether there be people didn 't make the Olympic team or people didn 't make it in it doesn 't have just to just be about sport, I guess, but sport I guess is an area of excellence, and you sometimes it can be because of those unique challenges and sacrifices. You have to make. And something that I, I love, I picked up when I was researching this was you talk about it takes a, a tribe to send somebody to the Olympic Games. Mm-hmm. Totally.
0: 100%. Yeah, because just to paint this picture for you, i so the Olympics were in August of 2016. I didn't work, I, I stopped working officially in like May of 2015 did a couple of little things here and there but most of it was just training and following the team from training location to training location and figuring out how to make that happen so between my girlfriend at the time who was also an Olympian supporting me you know helping move helping drive my car places across the country or you know flying out to see me to uh, a host family taking me in when i moved to the east coast and just letting me have their downstairs bedroom and just kind of integrating into their team and their or their family, rather, to all of my family members, you know, both sort of just emotionally and monetarily making support efforts. Um, <clears throat> it was really like I got done with that process, and and we'll get into the the failure part of it, but I was really humbled by. You know how many people really had to come together in one way or another to to make that happen and and it was I mean from their perspective they're like shoot I've got this person in my family or my immediate sphere who I can help them send go to the Olympics and to me I'm like I can't believe people are helping me go to the Olympics So it was a really cool experience to, to recognize
1: yeah and it's quite cool I guess from their point of view you I guess when you're immersed in it as that person you might not see it but from my perspective it'd be quite cool to sort of be involved in somebody's journey to to the Olympics. Absolutely. Um, I, I guess we'll talk about the actual Olympics now about arriving there and the competition so what were your aspirations when you went into the Olympics?
0: Well I think pretty much everybody who shows up to the get to the Olympic games has an aspiration to win a medal. And Mm. we were no exception to that. Um, We had uh, medaled in a world cup a couple of like a month or two before that we had against basically the same competition. We had, um, you know, had some pretty good training, some not so good training, but we were putting up times and splits that were, uh, indic- indicative that we could medal and we we were a little flat in our in our first race um, but we still were second to the germans who ultimately were silver and then in our uh, which was sort of the, the second opportunity to get into the a final uh, we won that over the dutch and they ended up with the bronze medal so we had a going into the a final we had a lot of reason to believe we could we could walk away um, or or row the boat to the podium uh, after the race and um, you know it just we'll get into it for sure but there was a lot of factors that I think went into that on an individual and then on like a on a team basis um, that kind of held us back from our our peak potential performance but um, but yeah we ended up just one spot shy and, and finished fourth
1: okay so so what was the uh, I guess disappointment stupid question but I guess how did you guys digest that because obviously you went to medal
0: yeah um everybody did it in their own way and I I can't speak to the other guys necessarily because I honestly haven't talked to too many of them about it it's it's it was pretty raw for a long time personally you know i did i it took me the better part of 2 years and probably more uh to really kind of come to grips with that result because it was so intense and just so much like i like i mentioned before moving around not mm. working getting support of other people you know like working um in 2014 and 2013 to support myself through some of this stuff pay you know rent and insurance and just doing workouts after work in the dark by yourself. And like all of that sort of comes pounding down on top of you uh, when, when you cross the finish line in fourth place. And I, I don't, you know, I didn't process it for a long time. I sort of repressed it. Um, And then it took me, you know, some, a lot of work with with some professionals as well as just some soul searching on my, on my own, Um, I ended up having a therapist for a while who helped me work through some of it. And then as well as a life coach who also helped me work through a lot of it, um, over the course of, like I said, two years and some substantial financial as well as time investment. Um, but that, that was my general path to sort of coming to grips with, with the result and what it actually meant. Um, as opposed, you know, I, long story short is I was giving it way too much weight. As, as to the success or failure of what I, what I had done for five years.
1: Yeah. And as you, now you're able to look at it from a, from a distance maybe and not from that intense moment, do you sort of recognize the achievement of what you did to actually do everything, the, the workouts, the training, the, get, get into that level to actually get to Olympics?
0: Yeah, um, I do. And, and that will continue to sink in, I think, over time for me. But I, I certainly have no regret, regrets with the way that I trained and I prepared personally. I feel like I was about as ready physically and mentally as I could have possibly been for that race yeah. on an individual level. I think the, the areas that uh, I have reg- a little bit of regret on is I, I wish I would have stood up um, and and tried to take a little bit more of a leadership role and, uh, said some stuff when I thought it wasn't maybe going the way that it should have been going. Um, because in sport in particular, you, you have a race or you have a game and the outcome is decided by a very short window Mm -hmm. of time. In our case, it's less than six minutes. Um, and in, Um, you know, sometimes it's a, it's a, it's a game that lasts an hour, hour and a half or whatever, but regardless, it's like the success or failure of a season or of a, of a, of a year or whatever it is, um, kind of comes down to a moment, right? Yeah. And if you allow the outcome of that moment to dictate the success or failure of all the effort that you put in, you're going to have a pretty you know, that that's discounting years of effort and work mm-hmm. and and sacrifice and other people's support and all of that. And that's what I started to realize eventually, as opposed to, you know, yes, that one moment defined whether I got a medal or not. Um, but that doesn't necessarily define me as a winner or as an Olympian or someone who could succeed uh, at that level. And you know, I think in in the context of the Olympics, because now we're in 2020 and, and Tokyo is coming up soon. So when everybody listening to this is watching Tokyo, especially when you're watching an A-final, recognize that pretty much everybody in that race, regardless of the race, could probably be a medalist or win, um, but you're you're missing, you know, you, you, what you're watching is that moment. You're not watching years of preparation and effort and work to get into that A-final And so, um, you know, just take a moment to recognize that, like, what you're watching is a basically a collective lifetime of effort and sacrifice and work to get there. Um, And everyone who who does not win a gold medal uh, will be going through a similar process to what I just described.
1: Yeah, and it's it's funny because when you watch, you know, the Olympic Games, you have that insight. You've got an idea of the prep and the journey these people have gone through. So when did you decide that rowing was maybe something that you wanted to leave, So, or or when did you leave rowing? So it it sort of
0: happened in a couple of phases. Uh, I I got home in late August uh, from, from Rio de Janeiro, back to the Bay Area. And that summer, while it was painful to sort of do the, you know, to kind of cope with the loss, Um, I still I had a a really awesome summer and winter because I basically went on a ton of trips that I had been putting off for years and I went and saw family and friends and old teammates and you know went up to Tahoe a couple times and went skiing for the first time and went and just did things that I had basically been putting off so to that end it was really fun Um, so basically I gave myself that year to uh, just be out in the world and try to have a normal, quote unquote, normal life. Um, and then I I came up to about a year and I was like, I don't, I'm, I'm really enjoying real estate. I'm, I'm kind of enjoying this new pursuit. Um, and so then I, then I pushed that deadline out a little bit and I figured that I needed to make a decision by October of 2018 as to whether I was going to go back to training or not. And that's what I ultimately decided is like, if I'm going to retire, I'm going to go, um, I'm going to go back by October, 2018, or I'm, I'm not. And ultimately I just decided for me and for Kristen and my family and the, the direction I wanted to take my life, like that just was not rowing. I had gotten out of rowing what I wanted. Um, even though the metal wasn't there, I knew I, I personally had gotten enough out of it let's put it that way and um, i didn't need to prove anything to myself anymore and and that was for me a really transformative part of the therapy and the the life coach that i i went through that that helped me decide ultimately to go back or not
1: okay so that was that was a process and so so if if you did stay within it you'd potentially be competing this year this yeah. year 2020 okay yeah
0: potentially and i have a couple of uh, three of the guys who were in my boat uh, in rio were still competing and I talk to them somewhat regularly. And every time I hang up the phone or stop texting or we we leave from wherever we're hanging out, I'm always thinking like, man, I am so glad <laughs> I'm not training anymore. You know, it's just, and, and it was the right decision for me, clearly. <laughs> that's
1: that's good because I before, before you said that, I thought you was going to say every time that I hang up, I wish that I was, you know, doing the training. So I'm glad that you said the reverse because... Now we know that you made the right decision.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, one of the things that I thought about when I was training and it wasn't going well back in 2014 is an example of this. Um, I thought about retiring then and just being done and like, what am I doing? Why am I training? Why am I, tra- you know, rowing twice a day and just barely making enough money to live? Um, and I realized that. Uh, I had a choice to make and the choice was either continue forward with a good attitude and get as much out of this as possible or quit. And I then thought like, okay, athletes have uh, a expiration date. Like we, we have a shelf life, right? You can't, you get too old to compete at a certain point and that's a little different for everybody and every sport. However um, for me, I just thought about if I'm 40 And I can't compete anymore. And I look back on this opportunity and think, I'm I'm really happy with what I got out of this or I'm not. What's the answer going to be? And ultimately the answer was, I haven't gotten everything out of this yet. So that's what kept me
1: going all the way uh, to Rio. Yeah, I know you said earlier about having a, a life coach. So was that instrumental in enabling you to make some of the decisions that you made about ultimately leaving was that something that I guess other people might be in similar situations?
0: Yeah. Um, in athletics, you have a coach. In music and drama, you have a director or, or or a teacher of some kind, right? You always have coaches in these endeavors. And, you know, the fact that, generally speaking, we don't have those people in our lives or our businesses is kind of crazy to me. So, um I found this person, he and I jived, we were similar ages. He was a college athlete. Um, He was getting married at the time. Like he was a little farther along in some of the stuff that I wanted to do. So, um, and he had this great, he was part of this great program called frame of mind coaching, which if anyone's looking for a coach, go check them out. They're awesome. Um, I was a client of theirs and I get no (laughs) promotional budget from that, Hmm. but I just, I think their, their process is awesome and it helped me. Um, But yeah, it was huge. Mostly not, not in the sense of like, he helped me make a decision, but more like he helped me understand what all of it meant and like what weight I was giving to these different decisions or these outcomes and um, you know, how to frame it in a way that was, hence the name frame of mind, um, how to frame it in this way. That's like, what does this mean? Cause you could give it the, you know, you, you got fourth, you failed, like that is one frame or a way to frame it. But another way is like you were fourth in the world. That's amazing. Right. And so that process was huge for me personally, um, in ultimately deciding a lot of things, but you know, the least of which was, uh, was, was whether to go back or not.
1: Okay. Okay. That, that, that totally makes sense. Cause a lot of people think, I guess a lot of people aren't exposed to having coaches and life mentors and we think we have to do everything on our own, but right, clear, clearly that isn't the case.
0: Well, in entrepreneurship, there's, you know, there's an obsession. I'm in the Bay area. You know, we're all talking about Steve jobs and Google and this and that, um, of the self-made millionaire the self-made mm-hmm. entrepreneur right and the the title self-made implies that they did it on their own which we all know is 100 percent not true <laughs> like no one is self-made anything at yeah. a high level yeah like it's it's crazy and that's why i say it's you know an every olympian it takes a tribe to send them because there's so many times when like if I didn't have the help of someone, I would have been just SOL and it would have drastically reduced my chances of going. Um, But, but, you know, in your own journey, if you're going through a struggle, especially if you're going through a hard time, getting a mentor, getting a coach, getting a therapist, getting somebody on your side is crucial. It's so helpful and it will it will just help you trage- uh, your trajectory out of that space and into whatever is next in such a deep meaningful way as long as you get the right person yeah
1: i guess the lessons are take a coach but maybe do some work on the coach that suits you totally totally so 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 moving on i, I recall you mentioning when you st- initially got into real estate there wasn't mm-hmm. something clicking so you had to fix that
0: yeah so the, the in the beginning i was if you can use the mountain climbing metaphor for a second i was at the peak of the rowing mountain yeah. right literally at the peak like
1: mm.
0: a final in the olympics like it doesn't get much higher than that for our sport i then decided to get out of that and go into real estate so i had to descend that mountain and go over and find another one to climb and it was hard being a newbie all over again and that was my first year in the in the business and it was just a lot of effort, a lot of grinding, a lot of like trying to force a round peg into a square hole, mm-hmm. figuring it out as I went, that sort of thing. And I did it to some degree. Um, but I realized like it just, the way that we were, I was sort of building this team and the way that things were, were working, the clients we were working with, all of that stuff just didn't feel right. It didn't yeah. feel internally. It just was kind of off. And so I started to think, like, what other opportunities could there be? Like, what could this look like? And when I started to open my eyes to other opportunities, some stuff came along. And that's where I found my current team members or my current team called the Gunderman Group. And, you know, long story short, is I was introduced to them through some mutual friends, their son was a rower or is a rower. Um, so we got lunch uh, together just to chat they're really good at real estate. I'm really good at rowing. So we kind of like wanted to know each other, you know, it just f- went from that into like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is a fit. This feels better. And, and they happened to agree. So we, we decided to partner up and um, they invited me to be part of their team. And, you know, the, and I've been there happily and, you know, in a, in a fit that was much better uh, for a year and a half or maybe just a little over now.
1: Yeah, and you you sound like an amazing fit because I, I read out earlier that I, I hopefully I've got the right year two thousand and nineteen. Mm-hmm. You you did around one point sorry nineteen point two million in sales, yep. which is which is which makes you in the top two percent in the in the Bay Area, which is incredible. And and this is my perfect failure. So I will admit on it that um,
0: I was shooting for twenty million. So I technically failed.
1: <laughs> but but I, I counter. But I guess you had that twenty mil there as a, as a yep. sort of a, as a as a number. But that makes you the top two percent mm-hmm. in your area, which is incredible. So if you look at that, if you if you I guess if you reframe. Yeah. As your frame of mind, coaching school, top two percent is some going. Oh, completely. And
0: when I set that goal, uh, I my previous year was around seven million or seven and a half million, so I was over two xing what mm. I had done previously, and it scared me for to be totally honest. But with the with the support of the new team. Um, with sort of a traction mentality, that's like success begets success a little bit. You get a few opportunities, you keep learning, you keep growing, and and things start to happen. Um, that really helped me um, believe that I could achieve that goal. And you know, now I'm in a place where I mean, I didn't technically sell close twenty million dollars of transactions this year. I got really darn close, but. Now, my frame my my mentality around what 's possible is completely different, and my my expectations, my reality, my trajectory of what i what I want to do has just shot in such a different direction like technically i didn't achieve that goal, but i it doesn 't matter like the, it wasn 't about the goal it was about going in a direction of of high performance and success again, and that that it was achieved a hundred percent for me
1: absolutely. And um, it sounds like an incredible fit. So in, in terms of, I guess, the skill sets that you're using, you, obviously you're quite a competitive guy. Are there some skill sets in rowing that you use in your current day-to-day life or job?
0: Huh, totally. Um, there's a few that are sort of the cliche sports answers, but I'll, I'll rattle them off. Um, you know, teamwork, coachability, perseverance hard work you know all of that stuff that you practice in a in an athletic endeavor can apply uh to a business setting or a podcast or any of that sort of stuff um the thing that i i think maybe isn't as obvious that it's maybe a layer or two deeper was um when, you, when you're rowing, it's all about precision and timing while you're going as fast as possible, as hard as possible. So you're, you're sort of developing lactic acid and you're, you're breathing really hard and your heart rates up so it hurts, right? Physically, it hurts. And you're still trying to like put your blade in the water just at the perfect moment in the right way. And so you kind of have to marry this aggression with this finesse. And taking that, that into real estate you know, there are moments when I'm negotiating a deal and there's, you know, a couple million dollars on the line and our you know, clients are emotional on both sides. Uh, you know, there's ego in play cause this is a two and a half million dollar house. Uh, there's all this stuff that's just kind of dumping in at that moment. And we, and in those moments, I have to remain comfortable and calm with, um, you know, focusing on what it is that I'm trying to accomplish and how it is that uh, I'm trying to represent my client when it's uncomfortable, and that skill set I think is actually helping separate me in a big way.
1: Okay, so is that something that you try and give your colleagues and whatnot because they won't have your background in in row? And I guess it could be a yin and yang situation where you get some from them and vice versa. Absolutely, I think it's it's hard to just
0: talk about that when you haven't felt it. And yeah. to someone who who has played sports, they would probably get that analogy better than if they hadn't. And, you know, that communication and, and that going back to that teamwork, um, learning how to talk to other people and, you know, translate something so that they can get it that, you know, that's where yeah. that part comes in for sure.
1: Okay. So another area that, that that you speak about, which I, I'm keen to get a little bit of insights mm-hmm. around, is freedom. Mm-hmm. Freedom is something that 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 you talk about. Um, oh yeah, what that looks like for you, man. Um,
0: well, if you ever listen to one of my podcasts, which you have, but if the listeners go there, they'll notice that I start every episode. By saying, I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you'll never achieve true freedom in your life. Mm. And what I, what that means to me, is if you um, simply go earn a wage, a salary. You know, you show up, you clock in, you clock out, you do a commute. Like you are tied not only monetarily but physically, and your time is tied up with something else. So I define freedom as uh, having financial freedom of course so you you don't have to go to work you don't have to show up at a given time to a given place for money but that also you have the flexibility to spend your time the way you want it as well as uh, you have the uh, ability to to be where you want to be so um, you could travel you can go work from some other location if you wanted to and that to me is the most important part of the definition of freedom because there's tons of people who can make a million dollars but if they're tied to a desk 12 hours a day a they can't enjoy that money Mm. and b they're probably not with the people that they want to enjoy it with in the first place that and that to me does not sound like freedom so really having control over your time and your location are the two components that i i think are crucial when when i talk about and define freedom
1: that sounds like a course you should be teaching
0: I may who knows who knows 2020 is the year of uh of cheat of next level for me so maybe I will
1: yeah it, just because I I can think of very few people that wouldn't buy into that and I guess it's under it's been brave enough to make some tough maybe not tough decisions but risky or or brave decisions to put yourself yeah. in that position and and actually educate education as well so educating yeah. ourselves continually and Knowing how how to go about that, because I I love that. As soon as I read that, that resonated with me. So I was really keen to get your sort of thoughts on that.
0: What's interesting, Paul, is like when you say people would see that as risky, like, like, yeah, I can see why most people would think that's risky because the narrative of, you know, go get a job, um, you know, work 40 years, get a retirement, get a pension, get a house, blah, blah, blah. Like that has been preached as the safe route. However, mm. to me, you are putting your future and your financial stability and that of your family in someone else's hands and probably in a lot of other people's hands who don't have your interests in mind. Mm. And, and, and that goes back to the framing part. Like if you reframe that concept, you're like, well, wait a second, I'm just getting on a bus and I have no control over where it's going. It's basically what you're doing for Mm. for a wage right yeah and if you really sort of internalize that and decide that's not okay for yourself then you need to go find another way so you can get in charge and it's not going to happen overnight you're not going to you're not going to start a million dollar business tomorrow but it's a process and it's a it's a way there are ways to you know, separate yourself from that existence in that world. Um, and that's by listening to starting with podcasts like this one and mine and many others out there and and connecting with like-minded people for sure. Yeah,
1: no, I totally endorse that. And it's, it's good to hear those sort of analogies because like you say, there's been a doctrine of from when we go to school, when we're at college, when we're at university, this is the, you know, go to work, work for somebody and, you know, pretty much what you've just said. And if that's what you've been told from day dot, it's difficult unless you're around like-minded people to navigate away from that. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm, I'm in your corner. So I love that. So appreciate you. No, no, I appreciate that. And I, I will leave your podcast in the show notes because I love the people that you have on there. I love your episodes and you know, it's inspiring and actually do learn a lot. Thank you. It's good to listen. It's good to listen to podcasts where you actually, now, there are a lot of amazing podcasts out there, and they all serve different, I guess, agendas. And they're all great agendas, but from yours, as you know, it's entrepreneurial, and you learn a lot and from you and your guests, which, are, which for me is really important. So, 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 maybe that's a good segue for you to talk about the podcast.
0: Yeah, well, I've um, you know we we've sort of explored the concept of what I'm trying to get out of the podcast. But generally speaking, if you tune in, um, you're going to hear stories of people's lives, and from those stories, we're going to try and extract uh, elements of like wisdom and inspiration and practical application of what they did, why they did it, how they did it and how, basically how they got from wherever it is that they think they started to where they are now. And a lot, there's a lot of real estate investors. There's real, you know, a lot of real estate people on there for sure. But there's also people who have started businesses, who have started at large companies, went out on their own, changed industries entirely, just took a total left turn and, and went in a completely different direction. Some people who are traveling the world and, and, you know, doing a laptop lifestyle and everyone in between and some people who are literally just starting and just bought their first investment property while they're working at a, at a big tech firm. And I want to sort of find the common themes that we can all apply and then hopefully pull those out so that if someone is listening and like, yeah, I resonate with that freedom comment he just made, Mm. but I don't know where to start like hopefully my show will give you an idea of where you could start.
1: Amazing. Amazing. So essentially you've got wonderful guests that have got a story to tell about entrepreneurship, how they've navigated situations. And I guess because of the the wonderful variety of people you have on there, there's pretty much going to be an episode for anybody, for everybody.
0: I, I would say as of now, yeah, that's, that's probably right. Hopefully more than one episode for everybody, but, but yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but to be honest, anybody that's interested in your show, which I'm sure there'll be lots, they'll pr- pretty much be interested in all the episodes as I, as I am. So ad- advice for anybody who's looking to bounce back from a disappointment, what would your advice be?
0: Um. The first one would be recognize that whatever frame or whatever uh, definition you're meaning, you're giving that disappointment is only one way to interpret it. It's not the way, it's one way. And when you start to recognize that, you start to see like maybe there's a second way and maybe a third way to look at this. And generally speaking, I think that a failure is only a failure if you learn nothing from it. And I think framing it in that way gives you the ability to um to to learn and then to apply something from it. Um and and you know, that a lot of the times, depending on what it is, that can be something that's coming from a you know from a mentor, from a friend or something like that. But, you know, there are, there are many ways to interpret what happens to us. And then when you start to take ownership, when you start to take lessons out and you start to take your, your, you know, the, the blame for your part of that, I think that's when healing and and learning and growth comes.
1: Okay. Fantastic. Really, 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 really good advice. So what's next for, for hands? What's next, what's next for you? 2020. Yeah, man. Well, this year,
0: um, I'm, I'm really trying to continue to step up my game. So I started the podcast in 2019 this year. I want to uh, continue to grow it and, and figure out a way to monetize it. Um, that's valuable to the listeners and obviously to me. Um, I don't know how I'm going to do that yet, but it's, it, it will be done tastefully and, uh, with, with purpose for sure. Um, and beyond that, my, my real estate practice is continuing to grow. I'm getting uh, more opportunities to, to step up and I, I want to get to a thirty million dollar sales figure so to put myself into the top one percent this year and then um, wow. personally, I want to um, uh, want to hit a, or I want to, to buy an investment property that has at least eight units in it, um, partially because that would increase the size of our rental portfolio by 200% and requires me to learn a new set of skills for underwriting, for lending and all of that sort of thing. So it really, really is going to force me to step up um, my abilities as well as, um, you know, as well as you know, the management and all the other parts that go on with a, with a larger property.
1: Well, so you've got a busy year ahead. An amazing year a busy year I would
0: I would think so yeah and my my wife is in the middle of a transition herself and so we are this year is going to be a big year for us and it's going to look real different this time in uh, 2021 than it than it does right now
1: okay so so I think we have to do another episode in 2021 awesome We'll we'll put it on the calendar right yeah, now we'll, and we'll, we'll talk about that, what changes put that in a calendar and what we'll changes for both I guess and how can how can the listeners contact you? How can they find you?
0: yeah, so my website has a lot of information about me the podcast my real estate practice it's hans struzina spelled s t r u z y n a dot com and then if you're on social media, i am uh actively uh trying to grow and and put content out on my instagram account, which is chief sna spelled s n a h which is my first
1: name backwards? Fantastic! So all that and more will be in the show notes. So, so uh, everybody will be able to access you, find you there. And, and my last question is sort of a recurring question. I never had sort of at the beginning of the podcast, but it's just something that I put in, and I was I'm always interested in people's answers. Mm-hmm. So if you could invite three inspirational people for dinner, who would you invite? Three
0: inspirational people to dinner? Wow, that's a great question um steve redgrave <laughs> I've, I've,
1: I've, yeah yeah a <laughs> great rowing <I'm>, uh person <laughs> absolutely yeah i'll yeah, just go some people may not think who's he talking about but it's just because he's in yeah. a rowing community
0: yeah he's a big time rower he's won so many olympic gold medals mm. he's been knighted so that's pretty cool yeah. um i think i would i would want to have um have a uh, couple, of, couple of different people because the conversation I think would end up being pretty rich. I would, I would probably take um, uh, uh, Steve Sims who is a, called the Modern Day Wizard of Oz. He has a podcast and a really cool concierge um, uh, experience, members only club. So you should, you should go check that out um, called Bluefish. Uh, or blue fishing, excuse me. He's got a lot mm-hmm. of cool stuff he does. Um, he's been on my show, so when when that oh, episode cool. releases, you can check that out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd also I'd also want to get, um, you know, honestly, one of my team leaders, Andrew Raskoff, is is someone who I would probably bring to that, uh, and I haven't gotten him on the show, but he is a pain in the butt to try and schedule, with. so <laughs> I'm, I'm I will. I'm determined to get him on um his his partner David's been on um but then the the third I gosh I don't know I I would want to get someone else who's like a very high level thinker and the person that's coming to mind is like Elon Musk only because I think that he's just got such big ideas you know going to freaking yeah. Mars like give me a break yeah um you know and just th- that conversation and the like the interesting places, something, you know, a conversation with those three people would go, I think would, would be really just fascinating. And I would certainly want to, you know, put a tape recorder in there somewhere at the very minimum.
1: That sounds like an amazing dinner party. And definitely you'd have to, an idea to have a tape recorder there would be amazing because you just so, because you'd be able to digest it after all all that rich conversation. So Hans, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for putting some time aside because I know it's early for you in, is, is you, you're in San Francisco today, are you? That's correct. Okay. So I know it's early for you. So thanks very much. And thanks for all the listeners for tuning in. You can find me at www.myperfectfailure.com. Also I'm on Insta at pads, MPF and Twitter is failure underscore perfect. So please look out for future episodes of My Perfect Failure. Take care, everybody. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to My Perfect Failure podcast. Be sure to visit www.myperfectfailure.com to join the conversation. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Look out for our next episode.